You're listening to the Prepper Recon Podcast. For questions, comments, and podcast archives, go to PrepperRecon.com. Hey, Preppers and Patriots. This is probably the last show before the election, so I need to say a few words before we get into today's guest interview. Unfortunately, this is a message most of you are not hearing in the church, but I believe we've run out of second chances with God. America has been slaughtering children in the womb for nearly 50 years now. We've killed 60 million babies through abortion since it was legalized. Our current average is about 2,500 per day. This massacre outstrips the Jews killed in the Holocaust by 10 to 1. Everybody knows how shrewdly history has judged the Nazis in Germany, yet our country has 10 times more blood on our hands. And for the most part, the pulpits in America's churches are filled with blatant complacency. In Ezekiel 9, when God finally sends the executioners in to slaughter the inhabitants of Jerusalem, he first sends a man in with a writing kit to put a mark on the heads of those who cried out against the abominations committed in the city. Those with the mark of God were spared, and the rest were slaughtered. If you've been too busy or too distracted to cry out to God over the sin of abortion, I urge you, put this atrocity on your prayer list. Pray that God will clear out the politicians and the judges that uphold this wickedness and replace them with leaders who will overturn these unjust laws. Then, on November 3rd, from the president all the way down to the local dog catcher, vote pro-life for your own sake. Because if you do not take a stand for the innocent blood shed in America, then God will not spare you from the coming slaughter. Now for today's show. Today's guest is post-apocalyptic author of the Enemies Trilogy, regular contributor to American Partisan and Navy SEAL, Matt Bracken. Matt, thank you so much for making time for us today. No problem. Uh, You've been blogging about the second American Civil War for at least 10 years. Um, You wrote about the CW2Q back in uh, 2010, I think. And I'm I'm sure you take no pleasure in saying I told you so, but it looks like you hit the nail on the head with this one. Is this an event that you saw as historically inevitable based on lessons from the past? Yeah, absolutely. Um, No question about it. The, the forces that are pulling the country apart are, you know, it, 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 you need rose-colored glasses to ignore them or just to say, well, we're Americans, we're exceptional, nothing bad will happen here. You know, it can't happen here is um, is one of those really doomed sayings, like in economics, it's different this time. You know, it can't happen here, it definitely can happen here. And in, in some ways it can be worse because uh, we're really, we're really, um, soft as a people. Our expectations are, you know, cheap food, air conditioning and heat whenever you need it, running water, all you need, you know, for a nominal price or free. And when those things when those things start to um to break down, people are going to absolutely lose their minds more say than in a third world country where, you know, brownouts and power outages and and uh, intermittent water are kind of a way of life. Um, in those societies, people are a little bit more tough and resilient. And we have no toughness or resilience at all. 
Well, you're you're really really uh, on point with that. Uh, even with the the COVID shortages, um, I haven't really seen a a drastic shift in the way people look at preparedness uh, in general. I think we've we've brought a few new people into the fold, but uh, um, largely, I think that 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 complacency really still remains. And I would I think that because of the people that we associate with on the internet and in our personal lives uh, already lean more towards the conservative patriotic prepper side of things. So when we're talking among ourselves and we're talking about, you know, increasing our preparations, buying more freeze dried food and canned food and, you know, thinking more about our water supply, things like that. I think that half of the population didn't think about it before, didn't think about it during, and will never think about these things until the reality just smacks them in the head. You know, like, for example, when the when the uh, EBT system, the food stamp, basically it's a welfare card with everything rolled into it. When that system breaks down and, you know, you can't get food with an EBT card, our cities are just going to go completely haywire. I mean, just off the chart haywire. You've spent a lot of time studying modern civil conflicts from around the world. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, it's um, mainly because, it, well, I'm a, I'm a history buff in general, um, but mainly because of the lessons that it has for us. So it's 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 fairly simple to predict what's going to happen when you overlay templates. You know, when you take templates from um, different revolutions and civil conflicts and you look for their for their um you know parallels and common you know uh common sets of circumstances and you can sort of lay them onto your present situation it looks it looks pretty bad because you know right now the left is i i believe the left by me and by the left i don't just mean you know very liberal democrats the marxist left whatever they call themselves they're marxists um, even Trump, a couple nights ago, I think it was in Sanford, Florida, he he used the c word, communist. You know, he said he said Kamala Harris, she's beyond socialist, and he actually used the c word, which was pretty striking, because they use Nazi for us. You know, anybody to the right of of Marx is a Nazi to them, but we've been so uh, careful about you know, splitting hairs and using their definitions of socialist, democratic socialist, and all of this, Trump went right ahead and used the communist word. Well, when the communists get this close to what they think is is an obtainable victory, they don't back off. You know, it, it turns into a, a feeding frenzy. You know, they get into a purity spiral, and they're not going to quit. And I, in, in my opinion, what they're doing is they're they're leveraging the the um, expected turmoil around the election, you know, the Democrats obviously are planning to use the mail-in the mail-in ballot to um, to take uh, control of the election. Once on November third, they see how far behind they are in what key states. Then it's just a very simple, concrete problem of coming up with forty or fifty thousand votes in a handful of states with no end period, you know, with no no end to the counting. That's their plan. Well, that period of turmoil, the communists are going to use 
as like this, as just a, a bank of coals to then blow it up into a raging fire. So the, the, the Democrats think that they're using Antifa and BLM sort of as their street, as their street enforcers to put more pressure, you know, on, on the civil society to keep counting the votes. Otherwise, Antifa will go completely out of control. But Antifa looks at the, at the Democrat party as just suckers as naive and they're they're planning to whip it completely into a bonfire you know they have they have no interest in seeing either biden or trump elected in a in a peaceful transfer of power they're going completely for broke now if if biden appears to win they'll be happy with that because kamala harris will be the de facto president you know and once they pack the court it's over it's done then we're just Venezuela because you can't you can't come back from that. I see a lot of very naive people saying, "Well, if they pack the court and make it into 15, then in two years when we win the Senate back, we'll pack the court and make it 21." There won't be another in two years. There'll yeah, be two, there'll be nothing. We'll be we'll be in gulags yeah, by then. In two yeah, or a civil war. I don't believe yeah. there'll be gulags, but I think there will be a shooting civil war. But they yeah they, what that's this is what they believed in Venezuela. When Hugo Chavez was elected, a lot of establishment conservative Venezuelans said, just you wait, he's going to wreck the economy, and then we'll win the next election. Okay? Well, he did wreck the economy, but he also packed their Supreme Court. And then after that, any law he passed had, had you know, was legal as far as his military and his militias and his police force were considered. So they could pass laws, for example, banning protests and then shoot at protesters. They got away with it. I mean, there was no swing back to normalcy in Venezuela. So I see people, uh, Dennis Prager just wrote a column yesterday about how the the Supreme Court will just keep getting bigger and bigger because every couple years when the Senate changes, they'll just pack it the other way. It's like, how naive. There won't be a it, it, it won't swing back just like it doesn't swing back in Cuba or Venezuela. Once they take over, it's over. But I don't think that. On the other hand, it doesn't mean there's going to be purges and gulags because we're way too armed, well armed for that. It will be ungovernable. There, there's no way they can just make the military crack down on us. There aren't enough military. There aren't enough police. There aren't enough federal officers. You know, we've got we've got them far outgunned. So I think what's more likely is something like a Yugoslavia situation, you know, where we split into regions. Instead of Yugoslavia, it'll be, you know, Croatia, Bosnia, Serbia. That'll be a regional breakdown, I think, is the most likely scenario. And you used the word, you said uh, purity spiral, and then you also said that you didn't think there would be purges, uh, but... Do you expect there will be attempts at purges? Because that's certainly something we saw in Bosnia and in Sarajevo. And I, I know that the 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 history uh, is is very uh, the way it's presented is very lopsided against the Serbs. And I suspect there were atrocities uh, committed on all sides. But certainly the one we hear most about is the 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 Serbs uh, cleansing. Bosnia and Sarajevo, and that well, was the a, word they used. You know, there's cleansing. a lot of lessons. A lot of lessons come out of Yugoslavia. 
Um, one is that, and, and in this case, it would be it would be Slobodan Milosevic, but politicians who are just just want power. Okay, they just want power. They can sometimes be willing to fan the flames and, and just you know just rage, you know, increase the hatred and the rage to genocidal levels, thinking this is how I will get into power. I will galvanize the Serbs around our anger over Kosovo. You know, he, before he was elected, he went to, uh, I forget the name of it, the field, the, the, the um, Kosovo field. It's a site of a battle which was a Serbian defeat at the hands of the Muslims like 800 years ago, right? And it's like a source of, of anger to, forever for Serbs. He went there and had a mass rally there, kind of like Muslims. And, uh, yeah, he was elected. But he, when you fan the flames of, of anger and rage to, to the point, you know, just to get, get yourself elected, you can't just turn it off. Like, okay, it got me into the, into power. Now I'm going to turn it back down. You know, it can take on a life of its own. Uh, something, something similar, you know, a sense happened in Rwanda. You know where where the minority uh, Tutsis had been running the show since since the uh, French had left, and the Hutus when they came to power, they rose to power on a policy of get basically, you know, get let's get rid of the Tutsis. So this is the kind of these are the kind of strands we're seeing in America right now. So instead of a class divide, it's it's they're trying to do a racial divide you know, with everybody against the white man, basically. With, in, you know, if you look at identity politics, you gain more points for each intersection. You know, if, if you're, a, you know, a lesbian, transsexual, uh, albino midget, you have a lot more points. Well, at the other end of that scale, if you're a, a an older, white, Christian conservative, you're the worst. And that's what the Democrats are using as their, as their, uh, you know, that, that's how they're trying to get, get power is to get everybody versus the whites. But history teaches when you go down that road, whether it's like Serbia or Rwanda, you can't turn it off. That that rage finds an outlet. I mean, what we saw in Denver the other day, people are ready to shoot. You know, people are absolutely, you know, from Kenosha with Kyle Rittenhouse, Denver, other shootings, the Portland shooting of the Patriot Prayer Guy, the sides are arming up and getting ready to shoot. And the, the point of my CW Cube 10 years ago, a lot of that was just trying to get people to understand how important it's going to be not to be behind enemy lines. When this balloon goes up, you know, you do not want to be the last Christian baker in Portland. You know, if there are any purges, they will be in places that are under complete, you know, communist control. And it, look at the Spanish Civil War. To a large extent, uh, a lot of the worst, a lot of the worst uh, atrocities and massacres, um, they happened in the cities that were under the control of the, the communists and anarchists. You know, while they had control of the city, there was no escape for people that were stuck there. You just had to not be in Barcelona. You had to anticipate this and get out of Barcelona before it went haywire. Do you have a, a feeling for the timing of how this is going to progress, and do you, do you think that's going to 
be dependent on the election? Yeah, I think that I'd say there's a 25% chance there's just such a landslide for Trump that, you know, like on a level of um, Nixon, McGovern, or Reagan, Mondale, that there's just no denying it. There's no way they can, you know, Al Franken, a half dozen states to leverage a comeback victory. But I think that it's it's a 75% chance that it's close enough that they're going to say, hey, if we need 50,000 votes in Pennsylvania, don't worry. Give us a few weeks. We'll come up with 50,000 votes for sure. We'll find them. I mean, that's the whole point of universal mail-in ballots is to keep this thing going. And during that period when conservatives are saying, this is out of control, they're just printing these things in a back room, or they've all got no signature, they'll find the Democrat judges that say, signatures are racist, or signatures are elitist. You know, it, it doesn't matter how nonsensical it is, you'll find Democrat judges who are part of the team. You know, it's it's a team approach. The DAs, the judges, all of them, they're, they're Marxists first. You know, so whatever they can do for the team effort, they'll do it, including saying you have to count every ballot, even the ballots that are obviously all the same address. A hundred people in one, in one address, count them anyway. You know, it'll, it'll reach absurd levels. Conservatives will say, that's it. We have to just throw this out. It's absolutely fraudulent. But Democrat judges will say you have to count every vote, and so there will be a you know an immovable object meeting it, meeting an unstoppable force. That the two sides, the Democrats are going to say if you don't count every vote, then Trump is illegitimate, and Trump is going to say I'm not going to be thrown out of the White House by you know mass-produced xeroxed bogus votes. And there's the and in the middle there's the conflict. Because the communists, absolutely, and by communists, I mean BLM, Antifa, uh, Revcom.us, Bob Avakian's group, Revolutionary Communist Party of the United States, they absolutely want this thing to turn into a bonfire. You know, they, they want that more than they want to see a peaceful transfer to Biden and Kamala Harris. They'd rather see a bonfire. You know, they, the worse, the better. They see, they see an absolute catastrophe for America as their best chance of seizing power. And the other point is that they don't even care so much about America within its borders. They look at at politics as global. You know, the, communism is international socialism. And the biggest obstacle to global socialism, global communism is a free a free uh, you know, market capital America. So the communists don't just look at it as, well, we want to have a civil war so we can win, so we can fly the hammer and sickle over the White House. And that's our, that's our vision of victory, a hammer and sickle over the White House. Actually, they're, the communists, that would be great. I mean, that would be like, you know, winning the trifecta. But the, the communists' more realistic goal is, to see the White House blown up a crater, right? No flag at all, like street battles in Washington, D.C. If America is wrecked going through a civil war like Yugoslavia, there's nothing to stop China. 
You know, there, there's nothing to stop socialism in the rest of the world. Nothing. I think that was a, one of Antifa's chants uh, years back was no Trump, no wall, no USA at all. Yes, no USA at all. They, they see the United States as an obstacle to their global vision. And, you know, sure, they would like to win a civil war, but outside of the, can, the you know, really dumb cannon fodder, useful, useful idiots, I don't think that the, the leaders of this really think, I mean, Bob Avakian doesn't think he's going to, like, ride into the White House, you know, like it's uh, Saigon 1975 you know, coming in on a tank like um, Fidel Castro. I don't think he sees that. He's, he sees himself being a, a key fa- a figure in history. If he can trigger a civil war, that's, you know, we see five years of America being like Syria, just blowing ourselves to pieces. Because once a civil war gets ignited, it's like an engine. It's like a, um, it, it's like a hurricane, you know, or a forest fire that's, so hot that it makes its own updrafts and sends the embers miles ahead. It's very hard to turn that engine off. You know, Beirut did lasted for 15 years. Lebanon Civil War um, centered in Beirut that lasted for 15 straight years. Snipers, bombs, imagine 15 years, kidnappings, atrocities. Yeah, and, people- and in some ways, America is in a worse situation because. We're not, you know, in, in Lebanon, they were used to intermittent power outages. You know, people lived with the water being out for a couple of days. They didn't freak out when the water didn't work for a few days. They were used to that. We absolutely are 100 percent, you know, used to every time you twist the tap, water comes out. When that fails, people are going to lose their minds. And, and people thought the first American Civil War would be over in a matter of months, but course that dragged on for four years so um yeah i think you're right uh it's hard to say and 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 with the forest fire you know it uh unless it rains it's not going to stop burning until all the fuels burn up and and that's right and of course with with america being uh as you mentioned we're, we're such a heavily armed society and uh we're so spread out um there's really there's a lot of fuel to burn for a long, long time, if if that's the direction this goes. Isn't well, the the these once a once a, any kind of a civil war gets going, it's hard to see. Um, you know, we have to because we've been such an affluent and generally a high trust society. I mean, it 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 would make no sense from a survivalist point of view if you were in Lebanon or you, Yugoslavia to say. Hey, let's make it so that all of our food comes from Germany and Turkey over, you know, 2,000 miles of truck routes. Because they would say, that's crazy. You know, that anything could happen. There could be some, you know, some, uh, uh, civil breakdown along that route and our food's cut off. Well, because we've had entire continental United States living in peace and security and affluence, we think nothing of the fact that our food comes from on the average, a thousand miles away. You know, some might come a hundred miles, some might come three thousand miles, or even from another continent. I mean, I just bought some grapes, and they came from South America, which means those grapes flew on a plane. I mean, think about the affluence of a society that can ship grapes on an airplane from one continent to another continent. 
that's great while the whole system is working, but that system is just rife for failure. You know, when there's, when there's no security because people are hijacking food trucks, the food's going to stop rolling. And all the food comes from a farm, some agribusiness farm, you know, 10 states away, and it goes through a half dozen intermediary steps. Anything breaks down on that whole chain, like the, the factory that makes the plastic bags is burned in one city. All of these agribusinesses that ship their food to the packing plant, they can't pack it. It's all just in time. It's like a, you know, a, a Swiss watch. It per- runs perfectly. But if you take out one sprocket, the whole thing fails. You know, it's a beautiful watch, like one of those watches with the clear back so you can see all, of, so you can see all the gears. But it's so fragile. And all of our infrastructure during a civil war is going to run across enemy lines. I mean, it, it, you know, you'll have one side of a city that is pro-government and the other side of the city that's pro-rebel forces, and the power lines run back and forth across the river in between them. You know, that's People aren't going to be able to just travel across enemy lines to go to work at their job at the water treatment plant or the, you know, the, the power plant. Not when they've got to dodge snipers and ambushes. And they're not going to just say, well, I guess I'll go live at the power plant and work for no pay. You know, very little has to be pulled out. It's like a Jenga tower. You pull out two or three of the right blocks, that whole tower is going to fall down for sure. And in our situation, once the food stops moving, as we discussed before, at least half of the country, they don't have even, they have, they don't even have a week's worth of food in their house. Not even a week. I mean, some people just literally eat at McDonald's every night. When that stops, they're going to be starving and they're going to lose their minds. They're going to go crazy. And we've seen the overwhelmingly peaceful Antifa and BLM protesters are are more than willing to uh, completely destroy critical infrastructure, um, burning down grocery stores and um Hair salons and pharmacies, yeah, pharmacies, and, supermarkets, and, and and so they have they have no um, qualms with with destroying infrastructure. So um, as this progresses, could we expect them to to target uh, electrical infrastructure or water infrastructure um, just for the sake of of destruction? And like you were you were talking about uh, uh, the revcoms that that would just like to see the big bonfire because um, just because it's destructive. Well, a, a, a breakdown in civil order that's generally understood as some kind of uh, insurrection or civil war would be a perfect smokescreen, for example, for Chinese or Iranian agents to do things to, you know, amplify the damage. I think that the Metcalf electrical substation attack that was like five or six years ago, I consider that a proof of concept attack because they hit a uh, fiber optic like trunk uh, complex in a tunnel that was miles away at the exact same time. So they were not only showing what they could do with these big transformers by shooting them, you know, with common rounds, AK-47, nothing exotic, but it, it was a time on target attack in that the a separate team hit the uh, fiber optic tunnel at the same time you know which required fairly sophisticated knowledge 
And I think what they were trying to do was to show whoever's paying them or leading them, we can do this, and if we did it, a dozen of them at the same time, we would take down the entire Western power grid. Yeah, because you just get a, a, a cascading failure at some point when you when you disable enough. Yeah, and that would be and that would be the time for China. You know, remember that Sun Tzu, he's a Chinese guy, right? I mean, this is China, right? And defeating your enemy without even having to attack him—that's the greatest victory. So if you can set a match, if your if your if your enemy's house over you know a period of time has turned into a house built of straw, and you can just throw a match into it, you don't need to nuke it, you don't need to invade it. You can just have it, your enemy burn its own self down. And we've, and we've seen, you know, not, I'm not trying to just spin this as like, you know, CCP is behind all of this, but they would certainly benefit from it and be happy to see it. But the, uh, the, uh, you know, of course that breaks down trade. They're not going to, we're not going to be there as a client, but they're seeing that go away anyway with, with the tariffs under Trump. But we've also seen though Antifa doing, uh, some pretty, Fairly sophisticated sabotage techniques, uh, sophisticated in their in their um, effect, not in their means. Uh, like you know, they have in the past, for example, when um, the military is moving weapons into Puget Sound to load onto submarines, things like that. Right, a train load of ordnance is coming, and they know about it. They'll cement the tracks. You don't have to use, you don't need C4, right, to derail a train. You can, you can cement the switches in a position that's bad for the train. It doesn't mean it'll run off the rails because the train, the system will detect that the switch has been sabotaged. You know, it doesn't mean it's going to run full speed off onto a siding and crash, but they'll have to stop the train. And all you need is bags of quickcrete and people walking around when they're completely open, unprotected infrastructure. You know, so much of our infrastructure is just wide open. They, you know, our, our communications companies and our natural gas companies, they provide maps, you know, one line and, and in paper to show where all these, uh, you know, the critical infrastructure is because they don't want you to accidentally stick a backhoe into, um, you know, a natural gas pipeline or a fiber optic line. So they tell you exactly where it is. Like, don't dig here or really bad things might happen. Well, the, the flip side of that is dig here and you shut down the grid. And that grid is totally unprotected. You know, you can guard a power plant, but you can't guard all the transmission towers. It's just not feasible. In third world Civil conflicts typically have uh, foreign agents trying to sway the outcome in one direction or the other. Um, and, and you talked about the the Chicoms. Um, do you think that's already happening here? Well, look at the NBA. You know, the NBA has taken a decision to, you know, they can crap on America and go for the Chinese money. But I could, I could. I don't, I'm not one of these like blue helmet invasion type of conspiracy guys. I don't think that the UN, you know, is going to be sending 
blue helmet regiments to invade America. The an exception might be the West Coast. You know that that um, war game that Podesta and others played, where they came up with the concept called uh, Red Mirage, meaning Trump wins on election night but loses over the coming weeks. The Red Mirage being the Trump won on November third. That in in that um, war game, Podesta said, "We just don't concede at all," and finally. The West, three West Coast states secede. They just secede. Well, that would throw them into civil wars because, like most states, you have blue cities surrounded by red rural areas. You know, Wash—it's not in the power of anybody to make all of California, Oregon, and Washington want to leave the United States of America. Even, you know, they can do that for the cities, for Portland and Los Angeles. They can't do that for the rest of the states. So at, at best, they get a civil war among the states. And, you know, the water out west comes from long distance. The water supply to Los Angeles could easily be sabotaged. And then, you know, there's just no water for millions of, you know, 10 million Californians, no water. So, I mean, it, this is what a civil war would look like. The rural areas would never just say, okay, they decided in Sacramento we're seceding. The rural areas would say, the hell you say. And if I can't, you know, if you're going to not give me any water and my groves have died, well, why don't I return the favor by damaging the, the canal so that Los Angeles runs out of water? That's what a civil war would look like out there. And under those circumstances, I could see Western governors asking China for help because they would need a lot of troops to restore the infrastructure and guard it. They wouldn't be able to do it. California, the California State Police, whatever was you know, still loyal to Gavin Newsom, for example, would no way be able to you know, fix the water canals and then guard them against sabotage. They would need to bring in a lot of willing troops, and, that, and China would be the only group I could see capable of doing that. So they wouldn't invade California. They would be invited into California you know, by a seceding state. But, I mean, that, my point isn't to harp on China and California. I look at USA as like a gigantic Yugoslavia. The situation in New England might be totally different from the Southwest, totally different. And that's why my third book, The um, Foreign Enemies and Traitors, it's, it takes place a year after a great big New Madrid earthquake. Uh, right in the heartland, you know, right there on the Mississippi River by Memphis. And that was just a plot device to show how the country's broken into regions. You know, part of it under military dictatorship, part of it like run like, you know, socialist hellhole, uh, southwest, you know, each part of the country having a very different circumstance. And for our enemies, that's great. If America is divided and at war with itself, that's a beautiful outcome for our enemies and our, and our enemies include many American communists who hate this country they're willing to blow it up just to take it off the world stage sure for Portland's Columbus Day of Rage the overwhelmingly peaceful protesters tore down a statue of Abraham Lincoln 
the author of the Emancipation Proclamation. Is that a sign that these communist revolutionaries are ready to give up the facade about the demonstrations being over racial injustice? Yeah, it's, it's getting harder and harder to do because they, they arrest all these BLM guys and they're all white. But, you know, the, the female, the black female uh, originators of Black Lives Matter, when they said we are trained Marxists, to me that doesn't just mean trained in economic theory, you know, Marxism, Marxist economic theory. To me, a trained Marxist means propaganda, uh, you know, isolating different cells, using cover covers and cutouts. You know, that's why they're that's why Revcom, Bob Avakian is an old uh, contemporary of Bill Ayers and the Weather Underground terrorists. He he went into the overt uh, Communist Party founded Revolutionary Communist Party US. He doesn't have any fingerprints on Antifa, but he's directing it. He's directing it, but through cutouts. There's no, never going to be an email signed Bob Avakian directing what they're doing in Portland. You know, so that the trained Marxist part is how you do this without making a case that the FBI can use. That's, and that's assuming the FBI was even interested in making the case. We saw the FBI people in Washington taking a knee with BLM you know, at the beginning of the George Floyd stuff, taking a knee in their FBI gear. So, you know, the, what comes out of college is what goes into CIA and FBI, and what's coming out of college are young Marxists, and into the military as well, into the military. So, yeah, we're, we're at least setting ourselves up for a civil war, at least. But the, you know, civil war will only be the part of it because we're so vulnerable in, in our, our food infrastructure, you know, our water grid, our power grid. They're all just so vulnerable. And in the, in the cold states, I mean, there are natural gas pipelines that are going from, you know, Texas and Louisiana to the upper Midwest and New England. If those are blown up, people freeze to death. I mean, you just can't replace it. You just can't say, well, we'll switch to burning coal in apartment buildings. They're not set up for it. They're set up to be heated one way, natural gas. That's it. Right. And if you can't eat and you don't have water, then you certainly can't fight. I, I, and I see rural areas doing their part by saying, oh, if, if my farm isn't going to get, you know, can't get uh, what it needs, diesel, fertilizer, spare parts. Well, I'm not just going to starve out here. I'm going to, I know where the power line goes that feeds that big city full of people that hate me that want me dead. So why should they have electricity? You know, everybody gets a vote in a civil, modern civil war. Everybody will get a vote on the power grid because it's all above ground and it's just a rifle shot to a transformer away from turning off. Big transformers, you know, can do uh, can do entire zip codes. Little transformers do a subdivision. You put a bullet in it, power goes out. And bullets are a lot cheaper than power than transformers. Now, my fear is that the the food will run out before the bullets do. You know, once the food distribution breaks down, it's that just-in-time delivery that's so vulnerable. 
Once that breaks down, supermarkets will be looted. They will not be restocked. Everybody will be running around with guns and bullets looking for food that isn't there. Then what? You've talked a lot about BLM and Antifa and uh, Revcom um, getting educated on on sabotage and uh, tactics for fighting a dirty war. Um, Conservatives, however... That's what Portland is. That's what Portland and Seattle are. Those are test beds. Right. That's like friendly territory where the judge, excuse me, the DA will just, you know, kick these people loose every night. It's a training ground. And they come from all over the country. They go there, then they go back to, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina or Orlando, Florida. I'm sorry, go ahead. And then the conservatives often want to take the high road. Um, Does that put our team at a a disadvantage? And then also, uh, can you suggest any resources that might provide some tips for the average citizen on unconventional warfare, Uh, not necessarily for us to employ, but perhaps to at least know what to expect from the other side? Well, just for what to expect from the other side, I would – I would, um, even on YouTube, there are good documentaries, and they, and sometimes they're like broken into chapters, you know. So, like a, a ten-year-old documentary on the Spanish Civil War, you might be able to watch it in like you know four different um, sequential sections, because I think that uh, that a lot of our situation is going to look like the Spanish Civil War, except it'll be worse. Because in Spain in the 1930s, food was much more local. You know, the, it wasn't as if Spain was all fed from France and Italy. That a, lar- a large part of America might as well be fed from other countries in terms of the distance. You know, when you compare Spain, France, Italy to America, that would be like, you know, Florida, Tennessee, North Carolina. And our food's not grown locally. So when a civil war breaks out, the food is going to stop. So it'll be worse than the Spanish Civil War. But in a lot of ways, it'll be similar to that. And in the beginning stages, I think it'll, it'll, there'll be a lot of similarities also to um, Argentina in the 1970s. The, you know, the, the Marxist professors get to write the history of what happened in Argentina. But it's not as if these, it's, you know, the true story is not that Evil right-wing generals just decided one morning, "Hey, let's go, let's go arrest and torture a bunch of innocent, you know, uh, snowflake college kids." There were there were several terrorist groups that were kidnapping children, tort, you know, they were blowing up, uh, you know, officers' clubs and blowing up uh, weddings, you know, real serious urban terrorism, worse than the Weather Underground more anti-personnel and this this incited a right-wing backlash against them it was a dirty war it wasn't just right-wingers out killing innocent you know left-leaning college students it was a it was a dirty war but the beginning stages of a civil war in this country i think will resemble that you know it and again our high trust society means that we don't have the kind of physical protection that they have in in South and Central America or Africa or a lot of Asia where anybody that's upper middle class or higher 
is living automatically in a gated community of some sort with guard. You know, here in America, most people live in a suburban subdivision where there's nothing between the street, the public street, your front door, but a lawn. That's it. Lawn. You know, when Tucker Carlson had his house raided by Antifa or Mitch McConnell, they're just on your lawn. There's no wall, right? I mean, it's we're not set up for a dirty war because anybody can ring your doorbell with a shotgun. Anybody. And that's how a dirty war will unfold. I was and in, I was so, in, you know, a lot of retribution and reprisals. Sure. I was in a small town uh, just outside of Cleveland for a, a wedding a couple of weeks ago, and it's uh, it's about 25 or 30 miles outside of the city center. And in that area, it's just an ocean of Trump signs. However, Cleveland's staunchly Democrat. Uh, what advice would you give to conservatives that live in a, a neighborhood like that where there is no wall, there is no gate, they don't have the, you know, the concrete with the, with the glass on top or, uh, razor wire or anything like that? Um, what could those folks do now to start getting organized to be ready? Well, if, if, it's, if it's not feasible, the, the, the problem is, and I, and I always use this cartoon, that everybody has in their mind of a series of big fish getting ready to eat a smaller fish down to a little guppy, you know, where it's like frozen in the moment before everybody eating. You want to be in a place where your local sheriff is a conservative, your mayor is a conservative, you know, all the way up, county, city, state, region, all conservative. If you're living in Cleveland, you might be in a terrific neighborhood, but the mayor is a freaking communist, or as like, like what the McCloskeys found in St. Louis. They're living in a mansion that they restored, like a falling down century-old mansion. They sunk millions of their own dollars into to help revitalize a kind of so-so area of St. Louis. They could have taken their money and gone far out into you know conservative area. But they put their money in a Democrat district, and look what it got them. Look at the thanks they got. I mean, when you when you pump millions of dollars into a house rehab, look at all the labor. Most of that's labor. You're directly paying for people that are working to restore that house. Carpenters, electricians, tile setters, you know, roofers, everybody. And the thanks they got was being charged for the you know they're using their uh, Second Amendment. So, you, you know, my advice ever since the CW2 cube has been get out of those areas. When this thing ignites, you do not want to be the little fish about to get eaten by a bigger fish. You know, the, the, the nice enclave surrounded by or next to bad areas is untenable. But if you are in Cleveland or Milwaukee or someplace like that, and you can't move. Moving is not viable. And you have to, you have to start preparing for a neighborhood self-defense force because you cannot defend one house. The idea that you can turn, you know, your American house into an Alamo and hold out is just not re realistic. You know, if you're behind the door with your shotgun 
as you're watching the houses down the street burn, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of a gun you've got. It doesn't matter. So you have to you have to start looking at this as neighborhood self defense. And that's that involves a process of gradually and by steps getting your neighbors on board with this concept. But I just I just uh, it's still in rough draft, but I've written a review of um guy named Jack Lawson. He he's written a new a uh, new book in two volumes called the Civil Defense Manual. He wrote um, another book called a, uh, Failure of Civility a few years ago. That's out of print. But um, his his concept he calls it a neighborhood defense or neighborhood protection plan. But it's basically a neighborhood self defense force. Is you have to turn your neighborhood into a into your own middle class version of a gated community. You know, if, if you already live in a place, if you're affluent enough to live in a place with a wall and guards, that's great. But if you just live in your average suburban subdivision, you're not going to be able to let people just drive up and down the street at will. Because anybody could, you know, three truckloads of gangbangers could drive in and just do a home invasion at any, at any time and overwhelm any single house. So you have to, you have to um, combine the forces that you have inside of your neighborhood so that you can have limited access with a guard post you know, and a quick reaction force. It's the only way you're going to be able to protect this kind of a neighborhood. And back to what you said about getting out, do you suspect that there were there were Jews in Germany um, that 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 just you know they they didn't think it was going to get that bad and and they stayed and they probably had opportunities to leave, but they were probably going to take a a loss on their their property and and they just they couldn't get their head around uh, taking a loss and and they stayed. And do you think the same type of thing? Happened to uh, to people in Sarajevo. Absolutely, um, before Absolutely. the, or, or the it can siege, be, it can be whites in South Africa today. You know, they they that just feel like I can't just be a refugee. I don't. I can't just leave everything because I can't sell it. I can't take the money with me, or it's very difficult. So they're forced to just ride it out. But yeah, plenty of Jews in Germany just thought. It can't get any worse. At every step, they thought it has to turn around. You know, that they thought that the the German military would be honorable and would have been eventually oppose Hitler and throw him out. They didn't. And this is my fear. Say, if 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 Biden is elected, whether it's contested or he wins, you know, no matter how he wins, if Biden is elected, he will be a figurehead for a few months. While Kamala Harris and AOC and Ilan Omar are really running the country, and then after a few months he will step aside, or they'll use the Twenty Fifth Amendment. But we are going to have, you know, hard left communist, you know, AOC, Ilan Omar, Kamala Harris, when they're running the country, they absolutely would set up gulags if they could. They would if they could. That is absolutely coming. And in that case, if you, if you live in a place, even if you have like your neighborhood self-defense force, if the local communist mayor, judge, and DA hate you, hate your ethnicity, and want to see you destroyed, then when the gangbangers come in, they're going to just, like in South Africa, they're going to make it impossible to protect yourself. 
That's what they did in South Africa. They took away the guns from the white farmers. They disarmed them. You know, if you're in a remote farm in South Africa and they've disarmed you, how do you stand it when, you know, 30 guys show up with guns? You're doomed. That's why I, my biggest recommendation going back, you know, more than 10 years is get out of those predictably bad corners of the cube. I mean, even if you, even if you have guns now, the DA is going to say, Anybody that uses a gun to protect against quote-unquote protesters is going to be arrested. And I, and, I, and I think that the military and the police will back up any laws. The police usually do. You know, even if they, if, if, they, if they nullify the Second Amendment and they say, Heller is gone, the new, the new interpretation in their packed Supreme Court, the new interpretation is that Second Amendment only applies to militia, and that is now the National Guard. Nobody else is allowed to own a gun. I think that most police would say, hey, as long as I get my pension, I'll, I'll, I'll enforce it. That's certainly what we've seen so far. We've not seen a, a lot of people standing up for uh, Kyle Rittenhouse or, no. or um, the McClowskis or the, the, the guy in Milwaukee that had his uh, – had the the protesters in his yard, and he was in his own right. house with a shotgun. Right. Uh, we've not seen any. We've not seen a whole lot of police officers standing up for those people. And I, no. I know there's a lot out there that that belong to groups like Oath Keepers, and they've thought about this, and they've already purposed in their heart what they're going to do. But I, I'm afraid for those that ha- haven't already thought through this question in their own mind and got it worked out in their own their own spirit. And I think those are the ones that that. You know, they just uh, when they haven't made a made a point to to think about what they're going to do and how they're going to handle it, that they just they they end up towing the line. Well, I think that I think that groups like Oath Keepers, um, they're not organized as a militia per se, but any group that organizes, no matter how just and valid, you know, their defense of the Bill of Rights, et cetera. Um, I mean, I, I know and respect Stuart Rhodes, okay? But the federal government is gunning for them. Right. They ignore Antifa and BLM. They, they call it a, a, just an idea, not an organization. But anything that is organized that can even be fit into, even falsely fit into a rubric of, like, white supremacist militia gun nuts, like the Proud Boys, even if they have like you know black and Hispanic leaders, they're they're putting a huge bull, uh, bullseye on themselves because the federal government is trying so hard to present this false narrative that the biggest danger in our country are these white supremacists. So anything that can even in some way fit the definition of a white supremacist is blown up and highlighted and spotlighted. And targeted for government action, big time. And like they've the probably been is, infiltrated. Most of yeah, those like, groups, like this, those not those goofball anarchists up in Michigan. You know, no doubt everything was instigated by the FBI, and they were idiots, and they deserved to. You know, they deserve what they get for being so stupid. But in no way were they conservatives or constitutionalists. They were anarchists. They just happened to have a target of Whitmer, so they fit that into the white supremacist militia rubric. You know, so my advice to people 
is think in terms of neighborhood self-defense. A good place to start is a, a Jack Lawson book, civil, the, you know, the Civil Defense Manual. It's not on Amazon. He's got like a private website he's selling it through. But it's very well thought out. It's almost a 1,000 pages. It's a, it's a large format book, um, two volumes. But you can't just walk around your neighborhood today like with a petition saying, hi, you know, I'm Commander uh, Zero of the New People's Army, and I want to recruit you to join my militia. You know, it, you have to be very thoughtful about how you go about doing the planning stages and the pre-organization and early organization of what will become your neighborhood self-defense force. Because you can't just, you know, when there's a major riot, you can't just spring it into action from nothing. So you have to start laying groundwork gradually over time. And the um, Lawson's book does, you know, get go into that in a lot of detail. It's very well thought out. But short of having a neighborhood self-defense force, I think that the, the best approach to take, if, you know, multiple carloads or hundreds of people come into your neighborhood and they're like we saw in, uh, what's it called, Waukesha, so the, Hard, uh, some Indian name from from uh, Michigan, where they actually were smashing windows of houses, like throwing bricks into windows of houses, terrorizing people. Uh, at that point, unlike the Milwaukee guy who stood in his own window with a shotgun, I think that the approach to take, it's also like a neighborhood approach. You can't successfully defend your house from your front porch. The McCloskeys found that out. The guy in Milwaukee found that out. You know, the local communist DA will ignore the people on your yard terrorizing you and will arrest you for brandishing a firearm. That's a given now. So when that mob is coming down the street, you can't wait for them to get onto your lawn because you'll be arrested for brandishing on your front porch, you know, filmed from a dozen, you know, cameras. You need to take action against them before they get to your house. That doesn't mean form a militia and, you know, travel 50 miles to a state capital to get into a rumble like Proud Boys versus BLM. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when you hear on local news or the Internet that they're smashing windows in your small town uh, like in Kenosha, then you prepare to defend your neighborhood. It's hard to, you know, what Kyle Rittenhouse found out, it's hard to go down to a business that you don't own, where you're not familiar, it's not your home turf, you don't have like a team. He got separated from the people he was with, then he was, you know, attacked and chased down. But when you're in your own neighborhood, you're on your own home turf, you know all the cut-throughs, you know, you know all of the uh, the dark secret places and back alleys then you have the advantages stacked in your favor. So when you hear that they're leaving your, you know, after having smashed the windows of the downtown businesses, when they head into your neighborhood, that's when I think it's time to be proactive against them. And I've gotten a lot of criticism. A lot of people think this is really a bad idea. But I think that as soon as uh, residential windows start getting broken, then your civil rights are forfeit, totally. Or as soon as anybody is lighting anything on fire, whether it's a car, anything, 
because a mob mentality takes over. And historically and legally, once a mob is in action, the entire mob is treated like one individual. This is, this is what it meant to read the riot act. You know, the, the marshals said, you have five minutes to clear off of this street. After that, it's all on you. And the mob is treated like one entity. And that means if you've got a helmet with fake press written on it, doesn't matter. You know, a fake medic doesn't matter. When they say get off the street, it's been declared an unlawful riot. They used to shoot after that. Now they don't. So the police aren't, you know, they're not afraid of the police. They burn police cars and nothing happens to them. They burn police stations, nothing happens to them. Well, that's when there's a complete breakdown in civil order. If the police can't even defend themselves, you know, from arsonists, then God help us. But historically, anybody that's committing arson could be shot. I mean, you don't have to call the, you know, call 911, get a busy signal. Sorry, all our police are busy, gover- you know, guarding downtown government buildings. There's nobody for you in the suburbs. As soon as anybody starts lighting things, you know, it's time, it's time that, uh, that they suffer kinetically. And nobody, and it's, and it's a, I think it's a good initial target. The most clear being an arsonist in the act. You know, when, when, uh, in Kenosha, Kyle Rittenhouse was trying to stop them from lighting a dumpster and then pushing it into a gas station. You know, they were going to put the lit dumpster up to the gas pumps. That's what he was trying to stop, and that's what made them so angry. Well, instead of trying to stop them physically, like, you know, I'm going to push the dumpster the other way, it would have been better if somebody from 100 yards away shot whoever was lighting the dumpster and pushing it to the to the gas station. Nobody can defend an arsonist trying to blow up a gas station. I mean, nobody, not even Kamala Harris is going to say, you had nobody had the right to shoot an arsonist who was trying to ignite a gas station. You know, that's... It's a no-brainer. Nobody can defend that. So if somebody is starting to light Molotov cocktails to burn cars or houses or anything else, I think they should be shot. And if the police aren't there, then the civilians have to do it. There's a quote by Thomas Sowell that says, if you're not prepared to defend civilization from barbarism, then be prepared to accept barbarism. It's a paraphrase, but that quote by Thomas Sowell, it doesn't say if the police are not prepared to defend or if the government is not prepared. It says if you are not prepared, if you're not willing to defend your neighborhood, because all you know how to do is dial 911 and get a busy signal and then go out on your front porch when they're on your front lawn with bricks, it's too late. You know, a mob coming down the street with Molotov cocktails, if the police can't stop them, then the, then the residents should stop them. I mean, imagine what we must seem like to our forefathers. Imagine in any small town America a hundred years ago, if the KKK or any other group came right into town, like with torches, they should have been, they should have and would have been shot. That's why they had to cover their faces. People with torches coming into a town are terrorists. And now they've upped it with 
instead of just Molotov cocktails, which are very dangerous to the user, there's like a high percentage of people getting Molotovs ready who light themselves on fire. It's very easy to do or to drop it at your own feet. Like that guy we saw that, um, you know, they made all the dance videos, the hot foot guy. He wasn't even throwing the Molotov. It just landed short of the police and, land, and you know, lit his legs on fire. They're very dangerous. So much safer to use are these high-altitude fireworks that go up a 1,000 feet and explode. Well, they're like the three-inch diameter mortar, mortar bombs. You drop them down like a two-foot-high tube, thick cardboard tube. Right. But if you don't drop it down the tube, if you just light it and throw it into a building, it's an explosive incendiary grenade. You know, it, it's got burning metal flying in all directions, metal that keeps burning, like a white phosphorus grenade. Yeah, you know, right. In, yeah. Yeah, so when, when you've got, like, I, I just saw, there's so much going on now. You have to watch Twitter to see, like, Andy No and Ian Miles Chong and people like that, which I'm interested to see today. Trump was retweeting some uh, Ian Miles Chong stuff about, like, the Denver shooting, Trump himself. So it's 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 important news source, because even Fox News doesn't cover this stuff. Well, up in Providence, Rhode Island, on Columbus Day at night, Antifa or some other group blocked um, I-95, and they used another U-Haul truck, like a 20-foot U-Haul truck. So they pulled the truck sideways across the highway and then unloaded the, uh, you know, demonstration material and as soon as they parked the truck and started unloading they fired a huge firework up into the air just as an attention getter well this you know the same fireworks can be put in the tube and launched horizontally like a like a uh, rocket a sideways rocket and they can also just be used by hand as a grenade so we're not talking you know kid stuff anymore if you're in a car and one of those fireworks gets thrown in your car, you're going to die. You know, you are going to die. Right. So, so when, as soon as rioters start lighting things, I think they should be shot. And if the police are too PC and hamstrung and, you know, worried about their pension and the, the local DA is a communist who loves Antifa and hates patriots, well, you can't just depend on 911 anymore. If they're coming down your street, you can't wait till they're on your front lawn. You have to be aware of where they are, have some kind of way of getting information, internet, radio, friends downtown. But when they head into the suburbs, they have to be met. See, this is not a militia. As soon as you form a militia, the federal government is targeting you. Because a militia is a, like a paramilitary group, no matter what the Constitution says, Second Amendment. I mean, I don't. They've made it into a bad word, but as soon as you form a group like Oath Keepers or Proud Boys, you have got an FBI electron microscope on you, and you have to keep it local because nobody can can say you have no right to stop an arsonist from burning properties and businesses and homes. You have no, yeah, you do. If you don't, then there's no civilization. If you don't have the right to shoot an arsonist, then just surrender to anarchy. Just burn your own house down. What the hell?
There's no civilization left. If anarchists are allowed to do arson, and when they're arrested, this communist DA gives them a gold star and says, see you tomorrow, then somebody else has to do the work. You know, it's that Thomas Sowell quote. If you are not prepared to defend civilization with force, I think that's the quote, if you are not prepared to defend civilization with force, then be prepared to accept barbarism. It's you, not the people on the other end of 911. We can't just turn into sheep who, are, who will, can only call for the farmer to help us. You know, where's the farmer? The wolf is killing us. Oh, we're going to die. The farmer's not here. Yeah, the farmer might not be here. You've got to develop some teeth. And you do a, a weekly show every Saturday with for fall on the Modern Survivalist YouTube channel. And yeah, I really encourage everybody to go back and just binge watch all the episodes from, I'd say, like the, the last six months. Oh, um, gosh. You guys really – I could never do that. That's so long. I, I really enjoy doing these podcasts, but I don't have the patience to watch them <laughs> or listen to them. But it, it, I think you really get people's uh, minds thinking in the right direction about where everything's headed, and, and, I, and I think it's worthwhile. Anybody that's, you know, and it, it's better than watching um, CNN and, and even, you know, aside from maybe Tucker and, uh, and, and Hannity and maybe Greg Gutfeld, it's, uh, it's, it's better than, than Fox News, and, and a lot of people are, are wasting time on that stuff anyway. Um, and you, you really provide some great information. Uh, but tell folks all the places where they can find your books and your writings. I know you also, uh, you, you write for, uh, American Partisan and then also, uh, Western Rifle Shooters. Are you still doing that as well? Well, Western Rifle Shooters, I'm, I'm not doing much original content for them, but they pick up stuff when I do, which isn't that often anymore. Um, I mainly primarily write for AmericanPartisan.org and they've been under like relentless, uh, DDoS attacks and the the uh, addresses as they're sleuthed back to the people doing the DDoS attacks, you know, imply that they're government. They're, the message that American Partisan is putting out is not a message that the powers that be want to get out, I have the feeling, because it does talk about how to organize against tyranny. And, you know, a lot of our government, let's face it, they're team tyranny. It's the deep state that ran the coup against uh, against Trump. It's the, they're still embedded. You know, there's it's the same people. If Biden wins, everything about the deep state will just be back with more strength than ever. So yeah, the, the, but American partisan for now seems to be running okay. I'm going to post this article uh, or review of of um, Jack Lawson's Civil Defense Manual. It talks about this neighborhood self defense concept. Because you can't defend a single house. And and I, I highly encourage people to go to Twitter, even though I've been banned from Twitter for years, so I'm not allowed to post or comment or upvote or anything. Um, but I go there just to get source material. And Andy No, which is the guy, NGO, Andy No, and Ian Miles Chiang, which is like spelled Ian Miles, I-A-N, Miles like 10 miles, and Chiang, C-H. E-O-N-G, and a handful of others, they have the best reporting on Antifa and BLM and what's going on. You can't even compare it. If you were just watching even Fox News, you'd think nothing's happening in Portland 
or anywhere else. And so the, the, the real news is being done by these independent Internet journalists now. I mean, it, it just clearly is. And I recommend everybody just scan their news feed, just scan their Twitter feeds you know, once a day or so, and then you'll, you'll know much more about this insurrection that's coming our way. So I, I do believe Portland and Seattle, they're just test beds. They're just a proving ground. It's where they're trying out tactics. And then for your fiction books, uh, those are on Amazon. Is there another yeah, place where people yeah, can get those? Yeah, they're on Amazon, but um, my books are available on, on uh, you know, in printed copies and as well in um, uh, Kindle eBooks and Audible audio books on Amazon. But anything digital, especially like if Biden wins, I would expect the First and Second Amendment aren't going to mean very much. And quote-unquote subversive anti-government literature will probably all be banned as some kind of hate, hate speech or, you know, anti-government speech. So they'll, they'll just be deleted from anything electronic. But for the time being, um, I am on PayPal. And if you go to my website, which is enemiesforeignanddomestic.com, my PayPal address is there. And uh, you can buy my printed books straight from me. Um, that way you're not giving more than half of your money to Jeff Bezos. So when you buy from Amazon, Amazon gets most of the money. And just, you know, if you're cool with that, that's fine. But, you know, I would recommend you get the book straight from me. Sure. Then you're not, you know, giving it to Amazon. And you can do that, you know, with my post office address for a check or PayPal. Matt, Thanks so much for taking time to be with us today and uh, all the great information you've given us yeah, on and, today's and Mark, show. Mark, you you have also written books. Couple, yes. <laughs> I was looking at them. I didn't, you know, and this is where I think my antenna are up pretty far. Uh huh. And I was not aware of them until I saw on you on on um, Amazon, you know, great reviews and everything. And I'm and I'm like, we need to do a better job of transmitting about our own selves. So I'm really interested in, in, you know, reading your books and talking about them and, you know, getting you hooked up with um, more podcasts, more, the more dissemination possible, because let's face it, we're never going to be on Fox News. I don't <laughs> think so. Gonna, <laughs> you know, we have to do our rebroadcasting amongst ourselves where we can. Right, but I think I'm okay with that. But you've made it to, you've made it to InfoWars, so I think that's the big leagues for, for the truth movement. Once in a while. Yeah, not a regular anymore, but they call me at the last minute sometimes. All right. Good talking to you. All right. Thank you.